Would you have a seat? Just want to give you a couple uh, updates on our Next Generation Ministries, just to make sure we're all on the same page. Uh, starting, or not starting tonight, uh, we are having our last Sunday, um, which normally we usually have the last Sunday, but this is the second to last Sunday because next weekend is Memorial Day. And so our high school ministry will be uh, celebrating transition. So eighth graders in, seniors out. Uh, it's tough, but it's part of life, and so we want to celebrate that. So tonight, 6 to 830, Sandusky Campus, all high school students are welcome, encouraged to bring some friends. It's going to be an incredible night tonight. And then I want to tell you about Say Yes. And so 52 days, or 52 weeks a year, uh, we celebrate what God is doing in our church, and we don't just do that in this room, but we do that in our chapel kids' hallway. We have some of the most faithful, incredible volunteers that serve my kids, that serve your kids and grandkids every week. But just like you take time off in the summer uh, to go camping or vacation or whatever that is, so do our volunteers. And we don't want to cancel our chapel kids because that is a huge part of them growing in their faith. And so this is where you come in. We're just asking you to serve one time in the summer. For one service, not a whole weekend for three services, not multiple weekends, unless you want to, of course. But one service, it can be little kids, big kids, whatever, to be able to show our families that, hey, even if some of our volunteers are taking some time off, we still want to have a robust kids ministry for our kids and families. So when you leave today, over by the kids hallway, you'll see a say yes sign up place. Just go ahead and Fill out that card, put it in the basket there, and you will make uh, our staff's day by doing that. And I will remind you at the end of the service to do that. But I want to admit something to you at the beginning. I know this is going to surprise many of you, but I am not a car guy. And some of you are thinking, well, A, you really don't look like a car guy, so I'm not surprised. And B, with that flower shirt, definitely not surprised by that. But I know nothing about cars. I mean, nothing. And recently, a couple weeks ago, what I thought was a decoration came on on my dashboard. It was actually the check engine light. I thought the car was just, you know, flashing some lights just to have fun, but it wasn't fun. And I realized that I needed to do something. Now, I am a procrastinator at heart, and eventually, because I didn't do anything, the light went off. I thought, this is great. I don't have to do anything. It's the car's fault, not mine. It must be a malfunction. And then the light came back on. And then it would go off. And then it would stay on longer and longer and longer until finally it was on all the time. And I thought I probably should get my car checked because you could hear me coming from about a half mile away. And that's not usually what my car uh, sounds like. And so I took it to... Uh, a mechanic who goes to our Norwalk campus, and so I need to be careful here. I didn't tell him the whole time the light was on. I just, hey, the light came on. I didn't say it was on for weeks. And he told me how much it would cost, and of course, when you get your car fixed, it, it costs a lot, but honestly, I was expecting a lot more. And I think because I didn't ignore the light as long as I probably wanted to, that yeah, it cost something, but not as much as it would if I kept ignoring that light. That's what I want to talk about today when we're continuing on in our book of Acts. We're looking at the movement of the church. And in Acts chapter 5, I believe the warning lights on our spiritual dashboard 
may be flashing. And then the story in Acts chapter 5 is going to expose that. Now you have two choices. As we go along today, you have two choices in what you do with those warning lights. You could ignore them and hope they go away. Or you can fix them. Either one of those things is going to cost you something. But if you pay attention to the warning light right now, the cost will be significantly less than if you ignore it and ignore it and ignore it, hoping it goes away, and then you figure out, wow, now I am in a lot of trouble. We're going to look at a story that I would love to skip because it's one of those stories where it doesn't feel good. I like the feel-good stories. I like the prodigal son story where this guy was, was hurting his father and he goes out and spends all of his money but then eventually comes back to God. What a great ending. This story doesn't have a great ending. But it can for you and I if you choose to pay attention to what the flashing lights may be in your spiritual car. So open up with me to Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read the story, make a couple comments, and then I'm going to go back and look at it in greater depth. So let's begin in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Let me read the first two verses. I'll make a comment and continue going. But, anytime you see a but, it's contrasting something. But if you look at chapter 4, the, first, the last part of chapter 4, Joseph known as now Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he sold the land that he owned and brought all of the prophets to the apostles, to the church leaders, laid it at his feet and says, this is for you. This is for God's glory. So remember that when we read this story. But there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount, and with his wife's consent, he kept the rest. So Barnabas sells his field, brings all the money to the church, and says, it's, it's for God's glory. Ananias and Sapphira, they say, hey, well, we want to contribute too. And so they sell a property, and they bring some of that money to the church, but then they just hold back some of it and say, hey, no one's going to find out. This is our little secret. Well, look what happens. Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. Whatever you wanted to do with it, you can. But how could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. So here's Ananias and Sapphira. They have this little lie between them, but they think, who's going to find out? Well, Peter peels back the layers of the spiritual dimension and says, this is happening whether you recognize it or not. There's a battle going on, and it's not just in the world, but it's on the playing field of your heart. And in your heart, you justified, you lied to a holy God. And there's something going on deep within you that's causing you to act this way. And I want to show it to you as a warning to even the church. Let's look what happens. 
As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Uh, Yeah, that's saying it lightly. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, took him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, this was the price. Oh, Sapphira, if you just would have told the truth, Peter gave you a chance. Now, Peter is not warm at this moment. He knows that her husband died, and he's not really comforting her, showing a lot of empathy, but what he's doing is, again, exposing the heart, saying that God cares more about what's going on in here than you can ever imagine. And look what happens. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? This young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young man came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Now, what's interesting is this is the first time the word church is used in the book of Acts. Circle it if you have your Bibles. It's interesting that of all the times this word church is used, it's used in a negative story. Up until then, the church is going through amazing things, adding people left and right. I mean, inside the walls. It was thriving outside the walls. People wanted to be a part of it. And the first time Luke mentions church, it's in the negative And people are terrified at what is happening. And again, I think the reason Luke does that is to get our attention to say, things can be looking really good, but what if they aren't? And so what I want to do is I want to look at this story through the lens of three points, three questions that we need answered today with a bonus fourth question. And here's the bonus fourth question. I won't even put it on the screen. Could this happen again? Could another Ananias and Sapphira story happen in this room today? And my answer to you is, we will find out by the end of the service, won't we? (laughs) If I fall over, bury me, and tell my wife that I went out as a hero, okay? Just make up a story. (laughs) No, I don't think, again, that's what's going to happen. I think this extreme story is a story of grace. It's a story of mercy. It's a warning light to those who come after Ananias and Sapphira. It's a warning light to the church then and to the church now that what if, yeah, you may not fall over dead physically, but what if spiritually your soul is at risk? Even if you're a Christ follower, it doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation, but it does mean it could have some damage to your relationship with Christ here. What warning sign or warning bell is going off as a result of learning from this story. So let's look at three questions. First, why is this story included in the book of Acts? That's a good question to ask. The second is, what critical factors led to this tragedy? What happened that caused Ananias and Sapphira to die? And what do we need to learn from that part? And third, how can we make sure this story is avoided in our own lives? Again, not physical death, but more just spiritually, how can we make sure that something like this doesn't happen? So let's start with the first question. 
Why is this story in the book of Acts? Especially after so many good things, and then Barnabas sells his field and presents the money to the apostles. Things are thriving. Why bring such a downer story into Acts? I made a first confession that I'm not a car guy, and that's okay. I am secure in my masculinity. And because I'm secure in my masculinity, I can confess this one. I'm really sad. I'm really sad because this Tuesday at 9 o'clock, the show that I've watched for over five years comes to an end. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Most of you are women. It's the story called This Is Us. The show is a great show, and some of you are like, you must love watching that with your wife. My wife has never seen an episode. It's just me. <laughs> and if you ask, have you cried during the show, my response would be, how can you not cry? They save those crying moments for the last minute of every show. I'm sobbing. Thinking about my dad wounds, crying, you know, all these different things. I want to be a better dad because of Jack. Thanks a lot, Jack. Jack ruined it for all the dads. Okay, I'm done now. But this story is incredible, and here's what I love about it. I love stories where you, you, you see something in, in the show, and you're just like, what does this have anything to do with the show? And then, like, three seasons later, in the middle of an episode, they bring it back, and then it makes sense. I'm thinking, oh, wow, how beautiful. And that's what This Is Us is all about. Looking back, looking forward, connecting it all together, just like we try to do in our own life. And I think that's what Luke's doing here. Luke is an editor. He's a director. He's looking at all the different stories of the early church. And he wants to make sure to bring a story into the story of the church when everything looks great. When you're expecting win after win after win, and then all of a sudden they bring in this devastating loss that you couldn't see coming. It's kind of like if you're a fan of a sports team, and your team is favored to win, whether it's a game or a series or whatever it is, and then your sports team plays down to the competition, and somehow they lose Either because they played down to the competition or the opposing coaching was better or they just played sloppy baseball or football or whatever the sport that you like. Now, if you're a Cleveland fan, you're thinking, that's never happened to us. I know. Trust me. But other good teams, they've had that happen. Or maybe you're a part of an organization or a movement or you're in a relationship with something and just everything is going so great. And all of a sudden, boom, something happens, and it, it stops the momentum. It stops what's really happening good, and you have to look at that and say, okay, what can we learn from this? How does it connect the dots to what may be happening? The same thing is true here. For I believe what is happening with Ananias and Sapphira can happen to you and I. And one person said it this way, and I think it's really important to think of, that we as Christ followers ought to have a high view of God, which means God needs to be at the center. He needs to be on the throne of our lives. A, a low view of sin, which means we don't want to sin because we know the damage that it has on our lives. We need to keep it down here while God is up here. And then just a right view of self, understanding that I am in process, that I need to continue to look to God so I can look away from sin. But if I look at Ananias and Sapphira, they get it all jumbled, don't they? They have a low view of God. How do we know that? Because they're willing to lie. They're willing to justify. They're willing to do whatever it takes to be happy or what they think will make them happy and satisfied. They have a high view of sin. They really don't care what happens so long as they can get away with it. I mean, who's going to find out anyways? They have a wrong view of self because they've put self ahead of God. They've made the decision for their lives and not God being in control. 
Ananias and Sapphira get it wrong and they dearly pay. My question is, what does our life look like here? If you look at this as the standard of what a Christ follower should look like, a high view of God, a low view of sin, a right view of God, is yours more like Ananias and Sapphira or is it more like Jesus himself? Why is this story in the Bible? It's to teach us that when we get this messed up, we will be messed up. Let me show you how. Second question. What critical factors led to this tragedy? There's three. There's three at play in this story that should be a warning sign to you and I that the warning light is on and you can continue to ignore it if you want, but if you continue to ignore it, the damage will cost more to fix. And sometimes it's irreparable. And I'll tell you what that could look like in a moment. So, there's three that we see in this passage. The heart and Satan and a low view of God. Now the heart is simply the central part of our life. It's who we are. Your emotions, your feelings, your actions, your thoughts, everything comes from what the Bible says is our heart. It's the central animating, folk, uh, central animating part of who we are. It all comes from here. And what do we see in this story? Well, look back with me in Acts 5, 1 through 2. There was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles claiming it was the full amount. And with his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Now, let me ask you a question. If Ananias and Sapphira would have come to the church and said, I'm just letting you know that we paid this amount and we're not giving any of it to the church, we're keeping it for ourselves, do you think they would have died? The answer is no. I don't believe it. It has nothing to do with the amount of money. They could have kept back a penny and given 99.99999% of it has nothing to do with the amount. It all has to do with the heart. They justified. They lied. They made something up in order to be happy, in order to be satisfied, in order to be in control. You may say, that's, that's pretty extreme, isn't it? Maybe it is. Or maybe some of us are only moments away from doing the same thing. It's interesting, there's a theme in Scripture about our hearts, and never once in Scripture have I read our hearts are good and pure. What does it say about our hearts? Oh, the prophet Jeremiah puts it this way in Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Jeremiah is like, you think the heart's bad? You have no idea the, the, the levels of justification and deception that can happen inside your heart. Ananias and Sapphira show us that. Now let me ask you another question. Do you believe Ananias and Sapphira in that moment did something wrong then? Or do you believe maybe, just maybe, they did something wrong then because something happened before that? Here's what I mean. The thing that happened obviously cost them their lives, but do you know how they got there? 
because of little justifications along the way. The little decisions turn to medium decisions, turn to big decisions, turn to life-altering decisions. When you get to this point, you can't stop it because of what you did back here. And many of us don't recognize it. We just think it's fine. It's just a little bit. Or it just feels good. Or no one's going to find out what's the big deal. The big deal is our hearts are a reflection of a relationship with God. And if we're not on the right path, it means we're on the wrong path. We're on the wrong path. It can do so much damage. See, Ananias and Sapphira, it's all about money and it ends up being about greed, but it's all about their hearts. Think about it this way. How many of us claim to be all in in our relationship with Jesus, but we hold things back from him? And we justify why. They don't need that. I need that. They're never going to find out. Well, my spouse is treating me bad. I, I don't have enough money for this. So. How often we do that millions of times a day. We hold things back from God, but we project as if we're not. Just like Ananias and Sapphira. If you were in that church today, you'd be like, man, Ananias and Sapphira, good job. Like, bringing money. Thank you so much. No one would know. Just like when you come in today, no one knows what's behind your heart. You're praising God. You're taking sermon notes. You're going to your small group. You're praying. You're doing all these things. But are we truly all in from God? What are we holding back from him? Our hearts are deceitful above all things. What happens to our hearts? Who influences those to let us go down the negative? Ourselves? And the evil one. Satan. It's interesting that first part of Acts 5, verse 3a says this. Uh, then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? Why have you let Satan fill your heart? See, Satan... Whether you want to believe him or not, that's fine. But let me tell you what the Bible says about Satan. He's a real being who's an adversary of God, but also our adversary. He tempts us and deceives us into making sure that our eyes are off of God and onto something else. And most of the time, it's onto something else good. Satan is really good at the game of turning the creation into the creator which means money comes from something I need to have to something I really, really, really need to have. Or I want to look good to I really, really, really need to look good. It's so subtle, the temptation. Now, what's interesting here, Luke says he let Satan fill your heart. That word fill in the Greek language simply means influence. We see this in Ephesians 4 when Paul says, hey, if you want to grow as a Christ follower, grow as a church, allow the Holy Spirit to what? Fill your life. Allow God to be that agent to where he influences you more than anything else because something is influencing you. And you can choose if it's God or Satan himself. And some of you are like, I don't know if I agree with that. Let me tell you, you are not neutral. You can't play both. If you're trying to say, hey, God, I want you to have this part of my life 
and influencing me here, but over here I'm going to let the world or Satan or myself influence. I'm just telling you, you are on this side. You and I are not neutral beings. Our heart will be filled by something. Who is your greatest influence right now? Are you influenced to grow in godliness even in the ways that you don't want to? Are you being filled by Satan so that you can get what you want, but in the end you'll never have what you need? It's interesting how James puts it about temptation. Think about it this way. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Now look at that progression. It starts off with something small, just a desire. A desire to be popular, a desire to be known, desire to be the best, desire to be successful, desire to be rich desire to look good, the desire to be good, all these little desires that, it's not a big deal. What's the big deal about those things? That desire is birthed into something else, which is birthed into something else to the end, it's death. For Ananias and Sapphira, it's a spiritual death. For some of us, it's a death of a relationship. There's some of us that we were desired to look good and we were starting just to impress this person at work. Just a little thing. What's the big deal? The big deal is your divorce now. I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you how quickly it goes. Or, hey, I just want to have more money, and then we lie, we justify, and then we do some things illegal, and then we end up in jail, and you're like, that would never happen to me. Well, it happens all the time because of a little desire. Do you think Ananias and Sapphira wanted to be killed that day? No, but it started way over here, and they justified this desire all the way. Who's influencing you right now? And by the way, Ananias and Sapphira weren't hanging out with Satan one day and he's like, hey Satan, why don't you fill our lives? It was so subtle, they didn't know it happened until it was too late. What are you subtling, subtly giving away to the enemy or finding pleasure in that is going to lead to the ultimate death of a spiritual journey or relational journey or something else in your life. Casting Crown says, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. When black and white turn to gray, thoughts invade, choices are made, the price will be paid when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade. Why does that happen? How do we allow the evil one to have so much influence in our life? It goes to the other part of a low view of God. Again, look at what Peter says to Ananias and Sapphira. You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. And then Peter said, how could the two of you ever think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? Satan's whole goal is to give you a low view of God, which means just putting God even with something else. Not even second place. Just tied for first. And if God is tied for first with something else, it's only a matter of time where God just continues to go lower and lower and lower, and sin comes higher and higher and higher. And that right view that you had of yourself turns gray pretty quickly, and then you end up where Ananias and Sapphira are. 
right, that is just blaring. So how do we make sure it doesn't happen? How do we make sure that warning light that is just blaring in our lives can finally be answered in a way that there may be a cost, but the cost doesn't have to be your entire life? Let me just give you a few. How can this story be avoided in our own lives? Well, first of all, we need to have some honest conversations with other people. Can you imagine if Ananias and Sapphira said, okay, hold on a second. If one of them just spoke up and just said, this is wrong and we both know it, let's not do this. Let's not lie, let's not justify anymore. If there's something going on in your life underneath the surface, you need to find someone safe and confess it to. Or you need, if you see someone in your life struggling and you're not saying anything to them, let me tell you, you do not love them. You could say it to them all you want, You don't love them because love is doing the very best for the other person. And sometimes that is telling them what they're doing wrong so they can be right again. Honest conversations. Second is, what am I holding back? Or what are we holding back from God? Can I just give you a list of what maybe it looks like we're all in but we're really not? I just give you a few. In my friendships, I'm nice to their face but I talk about them behind their backs. Imagine if some of the friends of your life looked at the text messages you send to other friends. What would they think? I'm talking about before you delete them. What would they think? You're all in. Maybe not. In your marriage, you say you love your spouse, but you sure love to flirt with that person at work, or you sure love to check out another girl when they're walking by. Well, I love my wife, though. Well, you don't love her as Christ says to love the church because you're obviously looking at another woman or you don't love your husband like you say you do because you're giving away some of your emotions to this other man. In my private life, I'm all for Jesus. Just don't look at my internet browser and my phone. At church, I worship. I'm part of a small group, but I criticize the church leadership behind their backs. Yeah, that's real. I remember I used to criticize Pastor Bill. He was the former lead pastor of this church. I remember going in his office the second day on the job and I said, I'm so sorry. He goes, for what? He goes, because I used to criticize you. And now that I'm in your shoes, please forgive me. (laughs) Who are we criticizing behind their backs they're not willing to say to their face? Finally, you need to choose your influence. Who influences your life? What is the greatest influence in your life in the little things? Because in the little things, when you have to then decide a big thing, the big thing will be marked by the little things. Does that make sense? When you have to make a big decision, it is all based upon the little decisions you make. You cannot get to the end of the cliff and not jump if you allowed yourself to get there. Get back off the cliff. Who's influencing your life? And finally, keep a high view of God. And I want to end with this. How do I know I don't have an eye view of God? Here's a litmus test. Do I love God more than I love money? Do I love God more than I love status? Do I love all people no matter what or or only certain people who believe like me or vote like me? Am I selfish, defensive, argumentative, and always believe I'm right? Side note, if you always believe you're right, you are wrong. And you're prideful. And yourself is here and God and others are here. I know, ask my wife. Either God is in control or something else. Do I allow God to call shots 100% of the time or do I only go to God when I need something? It's either you and God 
God than you. What warning signs are going off in your spiritual life and through the grace of God in this story, how are you going to fix it with the help of the Holy Spirit and the people of God? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for just this hard story that doesn't end well. But by your grace, my story can. I don't have to have this story. We don't have to have this story. Lord, reveal to us what is influencing us and give us the courage through your spirit to allow you to be the sole influencer in my life, no matter what the cost is. We pray in Jesus' name. Have a great Sunday. Go sign up for you, say yes, and help the church as well. Thank you.